Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive, on demand content, or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, folks. I'm Amy Wright. My guest today is Jimmy Dale Gilmore, a Texas music icon who's been writing and playing songs for more than 50 years. Most folks know Gilmore best from his work with the Flatlanders, the legendary trio of Butch Hancock, Joe Ely, and of course, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. The Flatlanders just released a new country music album called Treasure of Love, their first album of new recordings in more than 12 years. Fellow Flatlander Butch Hancock had this to say about Jimmy Dale. From swapping songs sitting on some floor after midnight in Lubbock, Texas, to stage after stage from Italy to New Zealand, Jimmy's voice still echoes the miles and smiles the Flatlanders have shared. The 15 tracks on Treasure of Love revisit songs the guys have enjoyed playing since the early days. And I had a wonderful time chatting with Jimmy Dale to learn more about the album as well as his life and music career. Take a listen and thanks again for tuning in to Diddy TV. Jimmy, welcome to Diddy TV. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is, this is kind of fun, actually, these Zoom things. Yeah, they're not bad, right? And it enables us to really talk to people we would normally not be able to talk to because we're in Memphis and, and you know, people are traveling. I know tours are starting back up again, which is very exciting. And you guys have a new album out, Treasure of Love. Yeah. When we're hoping our tours start up sometime, but it's, it's still, it's still a little too iffy for, you know, the, the whole thing is so unpredictable. It is a bit unpredictable. We're kind of going on a roller coaster here, but it's nice to see people back out. And I've been to a couple of live music events and uh, everyone seems to be genuinely appreciative and excited that yeah. the world has opened back up again and that we're doing some normal things, right? Yeah. I, I've played two shows in the, in the last two months. <laughs> and we, we, that, it was really wonderful. It was really fun. But it's all of a sudden, it sounds like maybe things are getting kind of sketchy again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we're all going to have to, keep, you know, kind of keep on top of it um, and, and see where it goes. But uh, hopefully, you know, things kind of even out and we'll all have a nice fall and listen to some good music. Um, yeah. So when you were growing up, I, I noted, I read that you were influenced by a lot of different music. It was everything from Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley to the Beatles and uh, uh, Bob Dylan. And you were listening to all of this. And that was sort of in your consciousness as you were uh, kind of starting out with your musical career. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it, uh, those were very important. And, and even further back, Uh, Hank Williams was my very first favorite, but even when I was a little kid, I was, uh, there's a broad range of things I, I liked a lot, although there wasn't that much available to us, you know, and it was just the radio. We, ne we didn't have a phonograph until I was like up in, uh, probably after I started playing guitar and it was all radio music or friends music was all I was exposed to. And my dad was loved country music, you know, the, the late 40s, early 50s country music. That's, that's the bedrock of my, my music. Did you grow up in Texas? And, were, and how yeah. old were you when you, were, uh, when you started playing guitar? 
Uh, well, my dad played guitar, uh, you know, all of my life. So it was around and it was, you know, I was in love with it. And it, that was something that the love of that particular style of music was a bond that my dad and I had that remained un, until he until he died, which was in 2000. But he, uh, uh, although then I branched out into liking some stuff that he couldn't quite pick up on. <laughs> but uh he did. He was the one that took me and my sister to see Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley when we were kids. How old so, were you? I think I was 12 or 13. I'm fairly certain that the show we saw was at a, 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 a venue, a big venue that was owned by Terry Allen's dad, Sled Allen, and who was a, a, a big, big, big time promoter, uh, in in Lubbock, you know, as far as far as Lubbock had any kind of big time anything, but it was I had uh, actually I lived in Tulia, Texas, which is north of Lubbock, until I was six years old, and my dad started Texas Tech in Lubbock. We moved to Lubbock. Oh wow! He he started Texas Tech the same year that I started the first grade. You know, it was really really rural Texas until I until I started school and then I was in Lubbock, which is a city. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a Texas, it's a country Texas city, but it, it was big and even bigger now. And we, uh, I was, uh, my dad never was a, a, a full-time professional musician, but he was a really good guitar player and he played a lot and little, little bands and things around it. So I was, that was always there. And I think I actually started picking up the guitar uh, probably in uh, junior high school. My dad showed me a couple of chords and, a, and a, or three chords and, and probably two songs. And uh, then, but around the, around the time that I started uh, playing guitar and, and learned, you know, kind of discovering that that was something I could do. That was I was in the perfect sync with with uh, the the uh, the folk boom the folk music thing. That's that's when the Kingston Trio suddenly had a couple of hits, and all of a sudden it became the rage. And then came the the onslaught, you know, of John Baez and and then Bob Dylan. So I was since I was already steeped in that in that real heavy duty country stuff. Uh, that was that was all of that new stuff was in addition to what I already loved and, and knew quite a bit about. Well, I wanted to explore that a little bit because you guys were, are known as the fathers of alt country. And part of that is that melding of all these different styles together. And it sounds like you came up right at the exact right time, which is you had all that country background and then you had the influence of the whole uh the folk movement of the sixties and all the other music that was going on in the sixties as well. And how did you guys meet and form the Flatlanders? Well, we were, Butch and I were, were friends at school ever since the seventh grade. And it was the, you know, it was the situation where we lived in different neighborhoods and we were friends at school, but we didn't know each other outside of school much. You know, you, you didn't hang out with people if they lived further away than, than a bicycle ride, you know, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but Butch and I were real, real good friends ever since the seventh grade. And then at, 
oddly enough, we both became musicians without knowing the other one had become musician. It was very strange. And uh, Butch was, uh, when I found out that Butch was playing music, he was, Butch was playing banjo to begin with. Nice. And we both, we both had a lot of love of, of uh, bluegrass and uh, Flatten Scruggs used to come through Lubbock, uh, you know, once or twice a year. And, and we went to see them a lot. But we, so Butch and I had, had been friends before we were musician buddies. But when we got old enough, you know, and then into the college years, we started hanging out with each other, you know, and, and playing music. In the meantime, I also, uh, I had, I actually sort of became a semi-professional or, or much earlier on than Butch did. I, I was really actually playing out and playing in little old, joints in Lubbock and Joe Joe is a couple of years younger than Butch and I and I got to know Joe in those little clubs we we played at some of the same clubs and we became mutual friends mutual fans I should yeah. say and then friend friends later on but we used to go to each other's shows or be at each other's shows we'd always if we were you know playing the same night we would always stay for each other's set and stuff like that. And then uh, you, you may have heard the story of, uh, of Joe uh, picking up Towns Van Zandt hitchhiking. No, I haven't. But, Tell me that story. Well, this is, it's an important <laughs> story, part, part of the whole Flatlanders legacy. Uh, so as I said, Joe and I were, we were, we were more like acquaintances and fans of each other. And, uh, Different, different kind of music. Joe had come more from the rock background and Buddy Holly and that stuff, which, which also was a, a big deal for me, but I wasn't playing that kind of music. And, but Joe and I both were playing, starting to play folk music and Joe was doing, we both were doing Bob Dylan songs, right? You know, way early on. That's, that was a, a thing we had in common. And all three of us had that in common before we started hanging out with each other. We were Bob Dylan fanatics. So one day Joe was uh, driving in this, he saw it, this part of town in Lubbock where he, he saw this guy standing by the road hitchhiking and Joe knew that that was a bad place. We used to hitchhike in those days. So we, we, we kind of, when knew. you could do that, right? <laughs> yeah. When it was, when it was feasible. Yeah. And so uh, he picked up this guy that he said, this, there was this tall lanky guy and he got in the car and, and Joe said, well, I'll, I'll take you. He said he was going to Houston. He was coming from San Francisco. And Joe said, well, I'll take you to a better place if you're going to Houston. I, I know where you're more likely to get a ride. And, and, uh, and it turned out the guy explained to him that he, was, that he had just made his first album. And he, he had a backpack that only had records in it. It didn't have any clothes in it. <laughs> that, that always impressed Joe. And, and uh, he took one out and gave it to him. And it was Towns with his first record. And, and uh, Joe later that day called me and he said, uh, Jimmy, he said, I just met this guy, this songwriter guy. And he said, I got this record and you got to hear it. So we got together to listen to the record. And then that became the reason that Joe and I started hanging out together. After that, we were just almost inseparable for 
quite a quite a long period there. We ended up learning a lot of. I knew a whole lot of folk music stuff, you know that that Joe didn't, and and he knew a lot of rock stuff that I didn't. And we started learning all this stuff. And now, meanwhile, in this in this period, Butch and I did, uh, weren't around each other a lot. And uh, we, uh, I can't remember exactly what years, but in in the late sixties, a lot of stuff happened in between. But in the late sixties, I had gone off. I was roaming around. I already had. I already was married. And with a little baby girl, and then and divorced by the before 1970, and I was too you know I was young, absurdly young when I got yeah. married. And after my marriage split up, I just roamed around. I just I was a, I was basically a street person, but but I had friends in in a lot of places in in Austin and in San Francisco and in Phoenix and. I roamed around. I, I would go from from those places and sleep on people's couches and stuff. And Joe, in the meantime, had gone to Europe. Butch, at at this time, was off in San Francisco. And it then it's so. And then I ended up going. I ended up coming to Austin, and I, I had a band here. I was I was part of that very the very original beginnings of all the 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 hippies and the cowboys kind of coming together. And I played the, uh, the grand opening of the Armadillo world headquarters. And then, but then on, on the heels of that, I went back to Lubbock because I started getting involved. I was, I was, re I was a reader. I always read a lot, you know, and I was real involved in philosophy and stuff. And I was starting to, to be in, interested in Oriental philosophy. And I, I started getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And then finally, I just went, I'm going to commit myself to this, my life to studying this stuff. And you, you lived on an ashram for a bit, too, right? Well, they, they say it wasn't. I lived in what was just for a, a few months mm -hmm. in New Orleans in what was called an applicant ashram. OK. And and then uh, I moved to Denver. I didn't ever live in an ashram in Denver, but I lived amongst the, the community but when I moved back to Lubbock in 71, uh, as I said, I, I was committing myself to this, but I wasn't involved with a group or anything. And it so happened that Joe came back from Europe the same month that I came back to Lubbock from Austin and Butch came back from San Francisco the same month. And I, I was, you know, in contact with both of them. And I finally, uh, I kept telling Joe, hey, I've got this friend. He's been writing these songs. Butch was already, uh, you know, acquiring a catalog. Beautiful, amazing songs. And and uh, I kept telling Joe, you got to meet this guy. He had met him before, but didn't really know him, you know, and, and Butch didn't play in the clubs or anything like Joe and I did. So uh, one night, one night we finally all three got together. And then after that, there was a certain point, you know, Butch was doing one of his songs and, and Joe looked over at me and he's kind of like, he had this look on his face, kind of like, Oh, I see what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then they became fast friend. Like, you know, they, the, so the, that was the beginning of the Flatlanders. So that, so it was, it came from, uh, 
you know, several coincidences, <laughs> like everything does. When you you sort of became a legend because, from what I read, you put out this album and 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 you really just kind of broke up a couple of years later and you went off to do solo careers and you're doing other things. I thought I quit music. I went. That's when I went and and joined the 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 spiritual group, the the community. In it's hard Denver. to quit music, though. <laughs> oh yeah, and also, I uh, I didn't ever quit music, but mm. I. I I didn't, I stopped looking at it as like, this was my career. I I, I didn't, but the thing is that all in all the time that when I was doing that, Joe and Butch, particularly Joe, because Joe was, was rising as a star on his own. He, he kept my career going because he was doing my songs and then, and then talking about, he, he talked about the Flatlanders when he when Joe got popular over in Europe, uh, I think it's what that's what. Well, in that this all goes back and forth, of course. But in that uh, that early seventies time, when when Joe and Butch and I we we got together and we just all clicked so much, both as friends and as musicians, that we we just became inseparable and and a whole little group of friends around us that. We we really we've often said that that there's actually about forty people in the Flatlanders, <laughs> that maybe probably twenty, but you know it's like an integral. Uh, at the time, our girlfriends who later became our wives, and like you know, it, and our uh, our whole uh, circle of friends was out. It, that was really what the Flatlanders was all about, and we made a record, which never came out. Until the these people in Europe discovered the Flatlanders through Joe, so it. I was wondering why. how that evolved because I thought, why, mm-hmm. why did the album come back out when it did? So I do want to hear that. Yeah, so that's what happened was that these European uh, American music fanatics, you know, European people that were fans of American music, you know, got a hold of, and they and the. Uh, the Flatlanders record, the very first one, uh, was, which originally was titled Jimmy Dale and the Flatlanders, and they called it All American Music. It was it was a very weird thing. We we didn't get any input into, you know, the packaging or promotion. Marketing or, or any of that stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they got a hold of the record and then got the license and everything and, and put the record out when it was 10 years old. Around that around that time was when I actually came back to Austin and kind of restarted my music career, which was, like I said, Joe had actually kept it alive in the time well, when you're, I did. You were writing songs, and he was playing some of your songs then, and then you, you yeah, he was recording some songs that I had written earlier that that we had done in the Flatlanders, and then he was recording a lot of Butch's songs. Butch was writing and writing and writing and 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 starting to become real well known in Austin as a with his own little you know as a uh, on his on his own with a band but but under his own name instead of the Flatlanders and then so then ten years later the ten years after the record got put out in England Rounder Records picked it up and put it out in the U.S. 
for the first time. So that's that's the one they called more a legend than a band. I love the name of that album because <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of throwing it out there. And then it was it was you're off to the races after that. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird. And and then then it started intertwining. Yeah, we always we always had remained very close friends and very much in contact and everything. A lot of people thought we had split up, you know, like, and, but it, it was just, all of us were just so uh, individualistic from the very beginning that we, you know, we just pursued whatever we were interested in. And, and then, and circumstances brought it back around that we were, so we all ended up back in Austin in the early 80s. During that period, it still would, you know, Butch and I would go sit in with Joe pretty often, or sometimes he would come to one of our gigs, and he was, Joe was a, a pretty big star in that. So we were, there was kind of a lot for us to do. You know, it was, it was a, a very active time, and, and Butch and I were both, we were real involved in the, the local folk scene and everything, which then uh, we were, we had friends that had a club called Imajos, which stands for uh, uh, Emma, Emma Goldman and Joe Hill. So we were, we were a bunch of lefties from, <laughs> <laughs> from the beginning. They particularly were. And we, uh, but it, that club then nurtured all kinds of people like, uh, we were, we we brought in a ton of people, for, you know, for old friend Towns Van Zant played there a lot. Guy Clark. I was wondering then, if you ever, if you guys ever actually played with Towns after you picked him up on the side of the road. Did you yeah. ever get to, to actually? Well, play? Towns and I eventually eventually became real good friends. Mm. We we didn't perform together though, mm. oddly enough, but we became we became close friends. But this place, Images, the 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 people that played the people. If you look at the old posters of it, the the people that were opening for me and Butch, Butch and I, Butch and I were sort of the, the the staples there. You know, that, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not. We were we were kind of the most consistent ones there. But the but then the people, the new people that came in were Lyle Lovett and and Nancy Griffith. Amazing. And, and Nancy's actually from Austin, but she kind of got more known in Houston to begin with, and. Uh, Lucinda Williams came later on. Lucinda, Lucinda actually, uh, she and her boyfriend at that time actually lived with me and my wife Janet for a while when she first came to Austin. And so there, there's just a, a, a star roster <laughs> of, of people that were that were uh, that came through that little thing. And Butch and I both elected to stay in Austin instead of go to Nashville. You know, to to pursue, we were we weren't ambitious enough to. <laughs> well, Texas is is pretty big in and of itself. I always talk to people about who who tour there, and they said you could make your whole musical c career in one state, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the time, I mean, it's amazing how many really um, incredible musicians came from Texas and from that area. Was it a real scene? Was was everybody playing together or was there a lot of support there in Texas? Oh yeah. In, in Austin in particular, there was, there was always something in Austin about 
the musicians really supporting each other. There was, uh, there was kind of like you know, the, the, the folk musicians were fans of the blues bands and, and, you know, and, and of some of the actual, you know, sort of top 40 country type bands, there were, there was lots of crossover and then, and also just lots of, uh, not just playing together, but, but going to each other's shows and supporting each other in that way. And in that, that period, it was wow through the eighties and it, it had already been there, but I missed most of the seventies. I missed when a lot of the evolution of the, you know, when Willie Nelson came to town and, and all that, I was gone to Denver when all that happened. So I was there at the beginnings of the thing and I kind of missed out on the mid part. And then, but it was a golden age in, in that period. When I came back, there it was, it was, uh, Austin was not yet billed as the, the live music capital of the world, but it's sort of what it sort of really was true already. It was a, you know, one of those rare things where the hype actually matched the reality. And we sort of, so we, we watched all that, uh, grow and grow. We watched the, the change, the change of, of Austin from being a, a music town, but underground to being like, you know, Austin city limits and everything is exploding into the whole world. And it was fun. I bet <laughs> it was, I bet it was fun Were there. I guess there were a lot of places for, for musicians to play because if without a venue, you don't have live music. So there must have been yeah. lots and lots of venues because that was important. Well, that's, too. that's the other thing that made it all happen was that Austin even still has the best audiences, the, the most uh, rowdy and most uh, supportive fans of just about any place I've been. It, of course, it's a, you know, it, it's a big university. It's the capital of Texas is, uh, you know, there's so many things going at once. And there's so many, uh, uh, you know, you're talking about the thing, the Flatlanders having so, so many different influences, but Austin was that way. You know, in Austin, there was, there was by that time, there was, you know, Willie Nelson and, and the, the, the entourage around him, Doug Somm, uh, uh, there, there was just a, 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 a huge population of some really famous musicians and, and a whole bunch of not so well known, but, but about to be well known and talented, great musicians. And it was, uh, it was really a, a pleasurable time to be a musician in, to be in Austin in the, in the, 80s, 70s and 80s was just, and 90s. And even still, I, you know, it, although the, the internet and the pandemic have thrown such curves at musicians that Truly. nobody sort of knows what's going on right now. It, you know, it, it's still trying to sort itself out. Yeah, it's another whole chapter in, uh, in the story for everybody. But um, but I like I love the fact that people took the time while they weren't out playing live music and started creating more music. But you guys, I know, did some of that as well. 
Uh, one question I had for you was that you're largely considered the, the fathers of the alt country music and uh, movement. And you had bands like Wilco and others that sort of fell into that genre. Did you think that you were starting something when you put together uh, this band and the music that came from that? Or, I mean, what, did you feel that or it just sort of happened? And then all of a sudden you were that band. No, it, it just happened. It just happened. But we, we did know, we, we knew at the time that we were a little bit uh, unusual in that we, we liked so many different kinds of music. And we were, you know, uh, pe people around the same time, uh, in a sense, I, get, I think now we, we're probably looked at as being more, uh, I don't know what the word is, like sort of uh, authentic or something or home. But, but the thing is that at, at that time, there was Commander Cody and the Lost Planet Airmen, and sometimes they're, they're cited as being the, the originators of alt country, you know, and, and, and then the birds had done, uh, sweetheart of the rodeo. And there was a, many factors that led into it, but we, I think the accident of Butch and Joe and I being, uh, from Lubbock, for one thing, we had the Buddy Holly <laughs> legacy, you know, and we had, and we also had this, this, combined between the three of us the combined knowledge of of a lot of we had a huge repertoire and we also had this shared love of different uh writers and a lot of that time had to do with uh, this sort of thing happening i think all over the place and and we were the ones in lubbock that that happened to be you know we were we were traveling around, being exposed to, you know, living in San Francisco for periods at a time, and and in and in and in Austin, and you know, we we were uh, we were bringing other influences into the into the mix, and it's and it's really it, it never was a planned thing it, it it was it was more that we were just real willing to just go along with what we loved rather than trying to to uh, invent something you know, you know trying to be we weren't trying to be commercial in other words well it sounds like that shared love of all different types of genres of music might contribute to the fact that y'all been together for so long because so many bands break up, they can't get along. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought what was really wonderful about the Flatlanders is that you've been together for all these years and you seem to be all friends still. No yeah, controversy. We, we, <laughs> we very much look forward to the, to the times when we actually get to be together and you know do some touring or do some recording and stuff it's kind of hard because we live joe and i live about 40 miles apart he lives south of austin and i live west of austin which lives out in terlingua which is seven hours from here and that's a hike and yeah and and we all have uh oddly enough uh butch and his wife adrian and my wife janet and i 
have spent a lot of time with each other during the pandemic because when when they were in Austin, they would stay with us. We, they were part of our bubble, you know, part of the, and uh, we stayed with them out in Terlingua until we accidentally found a wonderful little house out there and bought it. So Janet and I got a house, and that's been kind of part of our our pandemic uh, escape. Well, where where is that? Is it in Terlingua? Is down in the Big Bend. It's, okay. It's almost it's almost on the Mexican border. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you the the Big Bend is that part of uh, where the where the Rio Grande. Mm-hmm. goes south and then goes back north so that that's they call that the big bend so there's a national park there that's just beautiful and terlingua is an old ghost town that got re-inhabited by by people because there uh there's lots of re- <laughs> one person recently told me that that in terlingua that a lot of people came to terlingua because there was no work there <laughs> Oh, that's, that's great. The, that's the, that's the I'm going to move there too then. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. By the way, uh, my wife, Janet, is from Memphis. Oh, she is? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier. Yeah. She, oh, yeah. That's crazy. That Yeah. That's that's where our studio is, right here in downtown Memphis. Um, yeah. That's, well, what part of Memphis do you know where she was from? Sort of. Uh, oh, I wouldn't be able to. I, yeah. I, I wish she was here right now. She could, she could <laughs> tell you, but I, I can't remember the names of the, the neighborhoods. We never, we haven't, I've been to Memphis quite a number of times, but I've never really spent any time there, you know, more than a couple of nights at a time. Either you got to come on or, and see us. I, I love Memphis. I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's always been intriguing to me. You know, we, Janet grew up there and about 10 years ago, we went there and visited some, some of her brothers and sisters and we she, we went to Graceland, and it was the first time she had ever been. She she, she said nobody did that when they were kids. <laughs> they, they didn't. Uh, they took it for granted and didn't. You know, it wasn't interesting to them. Well, it was funny because I'll tell you a little story. But my parents graduated with Elvis Presley. Well, my dad really was in his high school class, and my mom was a year mm-hmm. behind. They all went to Hume's High School, and. You know, my mom always talked about Elvis being the the talent that won the talent contest at school, but no one could have <laughs> thought that he would go on to be as famous as he was. But to your point, we didn't go to Graceland or they didn't go to Graceland either because to to them, he was just someone they went to high school with, really, <laughs> yeah, you <right>. know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think people go there more now than they ever did. It's really very funny. Yeah. So, um, but great that great that she's she's from there. Well, let's talk about the album, the new album, Treasure of Love. What I noticed about the album was that you picked a lot of songs that were also musical influences of you guys, because yeah. a lot of the artists we've been talking about um, wrote some of the songs. It was the Everly Brothers. I think Towns Van Zant one wrote one. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash wrote one. Um, you have some that you guys wrote as well on the album. So why did you pick Treasure of Love as the title of the album? Well, it was, I, I, think, that, I think that Joe and Sharon d- decided on the, and the, the, the history of the record is strange in that we, we didn't plan this record. We just had recorded these songs, except for the three, there's three, uh, two of Butch's songs, two new songs by Butch and, and one uh, 
of Joe's songs on it. I, I didn't write any new ones. We we did all the rest of them were songs that we had always done together back for years and years and years and never had recorded. And we just kind of wanted them just for our own uh, archives, you know, not, not and we recorded them in time off when we were doing other records years ago. Uh, and the when the pandemic came, it's like we had done most of these this recording at Joe's studio. And so he had all these old tapes, old MP3s or whatever they are. And, uh, but, uh, and he, so he just took it as his, suddenly when he was off the road, which, which Joe can hardly stand. I'm lazy, so it's easy for me. So Joe likes to tour. Yes. He like Joe likes to be busy. And so, uh, it occurred to him that we had this backlog of things that were already recorded. So well, he called us up and said, what do you think about it? And, and he sent us copies of what we had already, you know, the, the kind of roughs of it. And, uh, and both Butch and I said, yeah, we, you know, we like all the songs. We like the recordings. We, uh, they're not, they were unfinished. And Joe said, well, I'll talk to Lloyd, Lloyd talking about Lloyd Maines. And, and see what he thinks about it. And so and then a little later, you know, Joe calls back and he said, Lloyd loves this and wants to do it. So Lloyd got a hold of it and turned it into a real record, you know, to a, <laughs> a, a genuine, beautiful. I, I give him lots of credit for making it sound. I, I really love the record. And, and I, a lot of it's because what Lloyd's, uh, touch on it in his musical and production touch it is really beautiful i loved every song and i was kind of wondering how you selected the song so you just said that you've been playing these over time but were there more than that are on the album uh or and how did you kind of hone that down to the ones that are just yes there's a number more of them but and and i i credit joe with that with kind of kind of selecting and sequencing it all it, it uh because we we weren't able to get together to do any of that stuff and, and it, it it's it's hard to do that back and forth over the phone or email or anything you know and it's, joe did most of the selection and everything and he and sharon his wife and they uh they're the ones that, that decided that that treasure of love sort of made the most sense to, for the just to name the record treasure of love and the, the songs are uh you, you know it's it's really got to do with they were songs that we did most of them were, were things that we used to do together before we started learning each other's songs and and doing the the newer stuff so we've been doing them for 50 years you know, and, and they were, uh, it's kind of a, a compendium of our history, of our background. Well, in that sense, it is kind of bit, a bit like a treasure box. Yeah, for us personally, it, it's like, and we're, we're, we're all very aware of the, of the, the fact, the, the wonderful, great fortune we have of, of having maintained our close, our friendship through such a lot of changes and and different things 
Well, every critic out there is saying this is an incredible album, and I I was blown away by the album and, and can't wait for others to hear it. And I hope everyone kind of goes out and gets a copy. I also hope that you guys get out there and, and tour and and play some live music and maybe give us a treat uh, there. I hope so. It's There's nothing on the books yet, but we, we'll, we'll jump into chance when we can. Well, let us know and come see us in Memphis. Okay, yeah, I'd love to do that. like to see the studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come and see our studio. Um, it was It's such a pleasure talking to you. It was, it's a thrill. It, you know, we're big fans of yours, and uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us about Flatlanders and history there, but also this amazing new album, Treasure of Love. Well, thank you very much. I really, really, really appreciate it. And I guess we'll be doing things like this <laughs> for a while. I've come to actually kind of love Zoom. <laughs> I sort of hated it for a while, and then I feel like we're in the same works. room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> having a conversation. Well, I hope to get to meet you in person at some point. It was yeah, just me a, too. Just a pleasure. No, and I have to say before I go that one of my husband Ronnie's favorite lines is, "I'm I'm not going to get this right, so you're going to have to say it right." But you're not the water; you're just a wave. Or yeah, that, that's one of Butch's songs. That's one of Butch's. Butch wrote it, but it's my song. Okay. <laughs> that's how I've introduced a lot of them. There's several of Butch's songs that, that I did so much and that they became trademarks of mine. But yeah, you're just a wave. You're not the water. Oh, you're just a wave. You're not the water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that because he's going to be thrilled just to hear you say that. So. <laughs> Um, again, it was a thrill having you on and have a wonderful rest of your week. And, uh, we hope to see you here in Memphis at some point. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Texas music legend, Jimmy Dale Gilmore. To learn more about Gilmore and what he's up to and to purchase his music, visit jimmydellgilmore.com. And remember, you can visit diddytv.com for more exclusive on-demand content and download the official free Diddy TV app from your app store today. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.